And at the time, Sue, I didn't see a way out. Like it felt very real. And I watched people around me get sick. And I watched some things that I hope nobody ever has to go through. And when I recognized that the element to release this was forgiveness, I got curious and began studying it. Could I do this? Could I forgive the unforgivable? What is the unforgivable? Is there anything that's unforgivable? How does this help me? How does this benefit others? How does this affect my relationships? Like I really started to look at what is forgiveness? What does it do? What does it mean? Does that mean I have to tolerate that? What about other things that were going on in my life? How does it affect those? Welcome, trust builders. I'm Sue Dyer, and this is Lead with Trust, where we explore how leaders can build their business on a foundation of trust and reap the rewards of becoming the top performer in their market. Leaders that understand how to use and leverage trust are uniquely positioned to disrupt their industry and dominate their market. Distrust of businesses and business leaders is at an all-time high. Trusted businesses must have trusted leaders and your team, your customers, and your vendors are waiting for you to step up and elevate the level of trust in your business. My hope is that this podcast can help you start your trusted leader journey. Hi, welcome to another episode of Lead with Trust. This is Sue Dyer, your host. And today, I just loved the interview I had with Lisa Marie Platsky. She is a leadership coach and expert in leadership. And I think that you're going to love this episode because she really talks about her journey to becoming a trusted leader. And it didn't start for her in a way that most of us probably start that she was in law enforcement and she was a leader in law enforcement. And then when 9-11 hit, it really impacted her tremendously. She had lost people. She had her employees going into the rubble and uh, getting sick and people dying and having to deal with all of that. And then how she felt from all of that led her to be very angry And so it was a journey for her to find a way to have a trusted leadership and for herself. And I I think you're just going to love this episode. I think it will touch everyone at their heart, but also in what you might need to let go of in order to be able to become a trusted leader. So let's listen in. Welcome. We are so lucky today to have Lisa Marie Plasky as our guest, and she is pretty renowned in her area. And again, another person that's a great uh, leader consultant. So for those of you out there that are interested in learning more about leadership, 
I always believe it's we need to keep adding to what we know because we can't know everything. And in different parts and different times of our career, we need different things. And so welcome. Welcome to Lead with Trust. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sue. I really, it's really delightful to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So I ask everybody this crazy question. So when you were in high school, what group did you hang out with? <sighs> what groups did I hang out with? I, in high school, I don't, I don't know if it was a group. I think that I was really afraid of myself. And when I was in high school, that I was, you know, I'd try a little bit here in student council and I'd try a little bit here and, you know, in, in this service-based organization and try a little bit over here. And I was still trying to figure out who I was and what I wanted to do when I grew up. <laughs> I think that's uh, what high school is about. And it's so hard now with uh, so many of the kids being a home and not really having a high school experience. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out uh, over the course of their life. But uh I agree. I agree. I, I have wondered about that, especially for students not having that graduation experience or that prom experience or where some of those uh, experiences that I got to be really socially awkward at, but then, you know, <laughs> have the experience. <laughs> well, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about your experiences in law enforcement and your current journey in uh, owning a leadership development organization that's involved in trust. Well, law enforcement is, is my background and it's the career after banking that was the one that I had probably the most, the biggest impact on me. And law enforcement, after I went to the academy, Sue, they gave me this piece of paper and a badge and you know a gun to take home and on that little piece of paper my credentials it said you know this officer possesses integrity and i was i looked at that and i thought isn't this interesting it's like a certification in trust it's like a certification in like you're somebody that others can can get behind and so my career in law enforcement was varied it was in the peers of new york as well as teaching at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center and at the, develop, the Leadership Development Center in Dallas, Texas, where I got to develop curriculum post 9-11. And so much of the work in law enforcement was about trust for that reason. It was, it was being somebody that others saw as trustworthy. And what I thought was so interesting about the career in terms of trust as, a, as an internal expression of self is that that piece of paper might have said something to people in the public or a certifying to certify the work that you did. But internally, when I went into supervision, I was then dealing with people in running the organization in a very different way than as an officer. And so that trust extended into the one-on-one -on -one relationships with, with others and the team. And learn so much about myself in what breaks it, in what keeps it, in what strengthens it. And every experience that didn't work out the way that I expected it turned into something wonderful because it was a less lesson and a gift. And I was able to take those experiences then into my leadership 
consulting company and be able to use those in the coaching that I do. And that's been 18 years now, which I just can't believe that it's been that long and be able to use that in establishing trust within my team, within my relationships with clients. Uh, and I don't know that if I would have had those, what what happened in law enforcement would, in, in, in how it shaped me, without that, I don't believe that my organization would have been as successful early on. So we have to talk about law enforcement and trust. And so just a, just a little bit about that. I know you were there before post 9-11 and uh, pre-9-11 and post. Pre, I mean, pre-9-11 yeah. and then did some training post 9-11. Uh, so what have you seen, you know, and right now law enforcement is really going through, I think, a new evolution. So what, what are your thoughts about that and the law enforcement as we move forward and developing more trust with community and maybe even internally a different culture? Well. There's something really interesting in organizations that have hierarchy that I'm sure that you've seen, which is, you know, does everybody have a voice? Is it believed that everybody gets a voice and is allowed to come to the table and, and share what it is that they, that they see, what they notice in the organization? And in, in law enforcement, for me, so much of that was me being a vocal advocate for myself. And then having other leaders being willing to listen to what it is that I saw as valuable, as important, that open communication and having it go both ways. And so today in law enforcement, you know, if you look back to the history of, of law enforcement, it, it, it's more and more things get piled on to law enforcement agencies where they now are involved in social work and they're involved in mental health and they're involved in safety and they're involved in rights for children. And it was never intended for that. And the training that officers get encompasses far more than I would say most people truly understand. When you get a job and you go into something in in corporate America, from what I've seen, you don't have all of those facets that you're dealing with on a daily basis with regards to the people that that you're interacting with. And yet in law enforcement, you know, you, you get the phone call and you're expected to go out and deal with this full scope of what would be human behavior. And, and it, it, it's, it's, it's just a massive amount of, I would call it burden, you know, on a human being. That's just a superhuman request. After 9-11, you know, for myself, there was so much fear the, the opposite of, of, of trust. There was just so much fear that it was tangible. It was visceral when you were, were walking around. And the, even the people that I was responsible for and, and supervising, you, you could still feel that, in, that internal angst that had to be lowered. And one of the only ways to be able to do that is to foster that, those, that open dialogue, which in today in communities is just so important. That for me is the, is the greatest bridge builder that there is. And so, you know, what I see is, is that sometimes there's a 
dumping that communities have, which is like, you should just be able to figure it out. And the bottom line is, is, you know, officers are human, like all others. After 9-11, I was asked to work. I worked three weeks straight, 21 days, and I worked 16 hour shifts. I will tell you, I was not a resourced human being going into work, putting on a gun belt and showing up for work. Because at that point, I didn't have enough till I drove home and actually ate and came home. And yet I was supposed to be at the top of my game and, and lower the fear of those that were, I was working with. I mean, it's just, it's incredible what's sometimes asked within that field that actually doesn't get spoken about that. I, my heart goes out for what's really going on now in looking at how do you increase trust and you've got to have communities be willing to say, I want to support you and engage in what really is going on. I want to hear it. I want to see it. I want to understand it in order to be able to come up with a viable solution. I couldn't and agree I'm, with I'm you I'm sorry more. for all of that, but well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. There's got to be two, there's got to be dialogue. Yes. There's got to be dialogue. There's got to be relationship. <laughs> yes. And so that they are, they are representing each other. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and maybe sensitive to each other, but that only happens with dialogue. It can't happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And really at the last year I was doing some racial justice work and, and Sue, it was in, um, it was in North Carolina. And what was fascinating was while the black community was dealing with something that was around, you know, equality and fairness, you had white community speaking about methamphetamine use. And so you had these two groups of individuals that were protesting to cause awareness, you know, cause awareness to what's going on in our communities. And you have law enforcement navigating both. And it was, it was the most mind boggling, you know, problem to solve puzzle piece because you have people living in, in, in communities together, having very different experiences of what is the most important need in the community for their children and what they're experiencing. And so to come together and to be in dialogue about that means that the solutions can be that much richer and that much more viable for all. And no well, one they gets can actually help out. each other. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And so that's, you know, that's the part where, you know, in, in being a trusted leader, you, you need, you, you cannot choose to be a trusted leader in that field without, without others. Like it, it, it is not a solo. I decide I want to put the hat on of that. It requires, it requires the village to, yes. to come together and allow that. Yeah. And I really think it, for, for law enforcement, it's, it requires a different paradigm uh, than, than many departments have where they're, you know, the policing mentality creates this adversarialism that prevents them from getting close to the people that they're trying to actually protect. So I think we need some paradigm shifts, a more sophisticated leadership style. And then maybe also we need to look at what's on their plate. I know they did that with physicians where, you know, they don't expect them to work 24 hours or 40 hours in a row and, and think that they're going to be operating on a high level. Right. 
Right. Exactly. And there was an organization that in my leadership company wanted me, it was a, a policing organization that wanted me to come in and do some leadership consulting because the person that was hired as the chief of police believed very much in leadership, had a varied background and wanted to bring me in to do some training for the officers because of my background. He was thwarted by city government because the budget was controlled by city government. And so even though he had the vision for what was possible and to bridge, build bridges in the community, because it it actually was, and, and not every department is like that. Like some departments have their own operating budget and some actually are controlled by other entities. Yeah, it's true. It happened to be an election year and there happened to be other things. And so, so what I would say is that the people then that are in the community are the ones that suffer because he had the vision and was brought in to do something. And we had, you know, some, some brilliant conversations about the possibilities and who he had hired for his assistant chief of police was, you know, just impeccable. And, and yet it wasn't uh, viable. And so what I would say is that when I had a conversation with a business owner in that community, being a business owner myself, and I mentioned something about, uh, they were like, well, you know, that, you know, the, the department, they don't have training in this. And I said, no, it's not that they, it's, it's that they would be willing to do it. It's that there are other bodies sometimes. And so before you make a judgment about why something is, you have to look at the whole picture. You've got to look at all the facets and components of what's really going on. And so, you know, those are the times that really breaks my heart because the the possibility is there for open dialogue. It's just that there may be another outside constraint. Well, that happens all the time where they want to do something. And, and I don't, I mean, any entity. Yes. And it doesn't whether it matter whether it's public or private, there can be a boulder uh, above or below <laughs> that prevents it uh, from occurring. And, uh, you know, th- that is why sometimes the trusted leader needs to be there to establish enough trust with whomever is the are those boulders or is in the way, so that eventually it can it can shift. But it does it does take a commitment to making it happen. It it just does, and and I think we have all we have a lot of work to do there. You'll and I'm so glad you're there to help and support this because I think it's an essential component for our culture for our future. Uh, and, and I thank you for your your support with that. Yeah, so I know that you you now teach leadership, you know, in lots of different places, not just in law enforcement. And uh, so where where is trust become part of the conversation? Trust becomes part of the conversation in the in the the very very beginning in the foundational elements of of the leadership work that I do because I speak about how if you don't have it in your team, if you don't have it in in connecting with others, then it doesn't matter what your great ideas are. There's no way for them to be able to move forward. There's no way for them to be implemented in a way that has anything other than a check the box mentality. There's no investment in in actually getting the work done and getting whatever the objective is met. And so, you know, for me, that's, it, it is the foundational element. And we have conversations around what that looks like, what it means, you know, whether or not it's a value in the organization, how it actually shows up. And if, if it's a big question mark and a big surprise, you know, then 
we look at how do you have to build it? What do you have to do? And it, it, it does go back to those, those conversations that you and I, we just talked about with regards to law enforcement, because it's across the board. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Law enforcement is probably, you know, 0. 0.00, you know, 2% of the work that I do. Everything is, is, uh, is really around the small business owner and, and the, the entrepreneur. Hi, this is Sue. Sorry to interrupt the episode, but I'm so excited that my new book, The Trusted Leader, is about to launch. And if it's after February 1st, 2022, then it's already out there. And so I'm so excited because for years I've been asked to help leaders to create a high trust environment. We have worked for 35 years to go in and help leaders uh, through intervening and facilitating the development of high trust teams and businesses. And now I'm teaching leaders how to do this for yourself. And trust is so important because it's really like having your foot on the gas of your business. And in so many businesses, people are working so hard, but their foot is on the brake as well. And so you expend a lot of time, energy, resources, and you just can't get where you should or could get. And so I hope you will go and get the book now and start your trusted leader journey. You can go to www.sudico.com slash book, and you can get the book there and you can pre-order the book there, or you can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or anywhere that you get your books. But I hope you'll go and get it and start reading it. I can't wait to get your feedback and to be on a trusted leader journey with you. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, well, uh, my experience has been that your whole business, if, if it can be built on a foundation of trust and the research actually that's been done that we've done, you are going to be exponentially more successful because you're going to get smarter because you're going to know stuff that you wouldn't have otherwise known. You're going to get faster because you're aligned. And so not just walking, you can begin to trot and run together and you're going to get a lot faster at, at achieving what you want and be able to be able to achieve things you didn't think was possible. Because if you didn't have all that, you wouldn't, you would just be sitting there going, well, I, I I'm okay with just this little success instead of something extraordinary. And it's so fun to watch the teams become extraordinary. It's just, that's just my favorite thing. <laughs> well, I, I, and when you speak about that, there's, um, there's a trust internally when someone else has an issue, a problem, something they're dealing with, and they go to not necessarily an outside source, but somebody internally, because they understand that that person also has their back and that they too want the highest and best outcome. And when they're doing that and solving problems together, especially as a small business or as a team in a larger entity, you know, that, that for me is, is, is a priceless commodity because it means that they actually value and trust the individual that they're going to, to, to point them in the right direction and, and to be able to do what's going to give the greater outcome. They're not looking for keeping it all themselves or actually going to an external source. Yeah. Well, it, it can't happen if you keep it all inside yourself. However, 
if you don't trust yourself, because I see this a lot with smaller businesses, the leader itself doesn't have confidence, trust, feel worthy, whatever, whatever the words are. And that really prevents them from developing the kind of relationships that could be transformational. Uh, you're speaking my language now. So this is all about the beingness of leadership, which is something that I learned. Who you are being is far more important than, than uh, what you are doing or what you are saying when it comes to, when it comes to leadership. That it is definitely starts with, with self. So, yes. Yes, that's what, yeah. I have a little trust pyramid at the top of it is self. You can't move. You can't move on. That's right. That's exactly it. Do not proceed. Do not it's go. The, it's the know? regulator. It doesn't yeah. allow anything else. Exactly. Yeah. So I know you know. So talking about that, you talk about courageous leadership, and I just love to know more about what you mean by courageous leadership, and you know how does that play out? How do we? What is a courageous leader? So when I. When I started my business, I share, you know, I, I, it was criminal justice. Like I, I had that background in criminal justice. And so I was in a place of going, okay, how do I have a business and have it be successful? And what do the best leaders do? And I started to do research and I had these seven pillars of leadership. And over time I said, okay, so this is what leaders do and what really great leaders do. But what about like the top 0. 0.00? zero, one percent. Like what about the really best of the best? What do they do? And I was like, oh, those are the ones that are incredibly courageous. Like that's what I started to see. They were ones that, that took risks. They were the ones that, you know, brought people together. They were the ones who had high, high levels of trust. And there were three elements that stuck out like as being like necessary for that. And those three elements were vision, vulnerability, and voice. And vision, I hear it talked about all the time, and yet I find it implemented not necessarily in a way that is, you know, is, is easy to understand. You know, vision, vision, the, the, the hidden gift in that was clarity. Like this cl- level of clarity was so dialed in with these leaders that it was nothing extraneous could pull them off track. Like they were so dialed into where they were going, why they were going there. And so much so that their teams wouldn't give them anything that was was not in that dialed in you know vision area like they they took responsibility for what they were doing and and with with regards to that like i know for myself i didn't i we didn't talk about vision as a family my, my mom was a single mom and we talked about vision when we went to the eye doctor like we didn't it wasn't a big part of you know like you know you're supposed to have that clarity of where you're going it was so much was about survival and so this type of vision with that level of clarity it it is um dialed into the organization but as you mentioned earlier dialed into self you know really like who you are and and what you want and so nothing takes you off track with the vulnerability piece i found that the what unlocked that was forgiveness and i've done so much research into forgiveness and vulnerability and the best leaders the really best leaders the the most courageous ones they do that in a way that is in your formula, in your trust assessment, you know, there may be different words that you use, but it's that, that willingness to, to openly share, 
you know, where they're at and to be in the untethering of anything from the past so that what they're focused on is the here and now. And at the same time, they're not hiding pieces of who they are from the people that they're, they're around. So therefore that who they are, you know, the, the dialed in piece, the self is, is so locked in that they're not getting off track in, by wondering, like, should I share this? Should I not share this? You know, does this get disclosed? Is this not like it, it's not? It just comes from such a place of natural sharing. And what that does is it gives others permission to share what's going on. So it builds greater trust in the organization because there's nobody going, oh my gosh, is it safe? Am I going to get fired? Is this? It's it's really more about what's the best, what's best for the organization. How do I be a force for good? And the leader models that. And then the third part was voice, was people get behind where your heart lies, not your knowledge. And so how do you unlock that? And, and I found like those, those, that, those like most courageous leaders were willing to advocate for what mattered most to them. And even if it went against the grain of what was going on in the world, like they still took a position and a stand because that stand and using their voice was so important internally in the organization and externally, that by doing that, when we look at trust, it also fostered trust because they had the courage to be able to speak what may not be the norm. It may be, you know, go against against what what the the mainstream was was doing. And it wasn't about being controversial. It was simply about the courage to, to do that because what it does is it fosters greater creativity, greater innovation, um, bigger ideas, and, and, and ultimately more paid greater dividends. You could actually track it back to the metrics of money. That's very interesting. It does sound uh, different words, but similar to like <laughs> yeah. the idea of transparency and, uh, and collective wisdom and taking ownership and yeah, so it's it's, um, it's the same things that we know work, but are hard to achieve, and it's still unusual, unfortunately. Yes, and when I saw your ass- assessment and I took your assessment, that's why I was like, oh, this, we're speaking the same language. We're just we have different we have a different vocabulary around yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I I always think that when you find like natural truths they are the natural truths. We may have a different way of looking at them, like a perspective, but uh, they're still what works. And uh, you know, like gravity exists. And so we may have different ways to describe it, but it's still gravity. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, so for you talked a little bit about forgiveness. And I, tell me a little bit more about your definition of forgiveness so that I, we can understand that a little bit better. Dive into that a little bit. Well, you know, forgiveness for me is, you know, is the one thing that changes the past, the present, and the future. You know, it is, if you really are in the forgiveness, if you really understand that your forgiving is not about the other person and the forgiveness is for you in order for you to be able to be um, unencumbered by anything that anybody has done or said doesn't mean that you tolerate the behavior again it just simply means that you you let it go it actually has the ability to change the past it has the ability to change the present moment and see how you see the world moving forward and my example of this and where this actually started for me in research was 
after 9-11, I will tell you I was angry. Angry doesn't even sum up. To have to send, mm, it'll move me to tears. To have to send my employees to hundreds, hundreds of funerals for officers who lost their lives. For me to send employees to the site of 9-11 to search for remains. For me to personally have lost one of the most important people in my life, my mentor, who went back in the building to save people and never made it out. I was angry. And what I realized one day was if I stayed in that angry place for forever, I would have a very unhappy life. And at the time, Sue, I didn't see a way out. Like it felt very real. And I watched people around me get sick. And I watched some things that I hope nobody ever has to go through. And when I recognized that the element to release this was forgiveness. I got curious and began studying it. Could I do this? Could I forgive the unforgivable? What is the unforgivable? Is there anything that's unforgivable? How does this help me? How does this benefit others? How does this affect my relationships? Like I really started to look at what is forgiveness? What does it do? What does it mean? Does that mean I have to tolerate that? What about other things that were going on in my life? How does it affect those? And I realized in doing the research, there were guys at work who didn't talk to somebody else on the job because in 1975, this person said something, you know, Bob said something to Fred. And next thing you know, like we're not, we're, we're, you know, decades later and still angry about something. And then I started to study psychosomatics. What does it do on the body? What actually is, is anger? Anger actually in psychosomatics is, is, is unresolved anger turns into cancer. And then I started to see that. And, um, and then I went to, to school for master's degree training in that and thousands and thousands of hours, um, tens of thousands of hours of, of, of work in that and realized that, you know, forgiveness was this load lightener, if you will, that allowed you to be the best version of who you are and to fully accept the present moment and to be unencumbered, untethered, un, uncarrying the backpack of whatever stuff that anybody else had supposedly done to you, said to you, and, and really allow you to live a very peaceful and happy life. And so in my continuum of health, happiness, success, and meaning, where I believe every leader wants that and sometimes struggle with this hole in their heart, trying to fill it up with all sorts of stuff because they're looking for meaning and can't find it. And they have all these successes. Forgiveness is really a gift that we give to ourselves. So probably more than you wanted. I'm, I, you know, I just, I'm so passionate about. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, there's a reason why there's in, in almost every religion there is in the world, there is a, some kind of process or ceremony or belief in forgiveness because it's what gives you a release. And it's also the underpinning of love. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, the, you know, the opposite of love is fear. It's not, 
It's not yes. hate. And you and I both understand that. I could see yeah. that in your work. And so it's why for me, like I, I at my, I have a, a three-day leadership conference I do every January and I do it twice. And at this conference, I do an exercise around forgiveness and it's not, it's not promoted. It's not, I don't talk about it. I will tell you that I've done this conference for 15 years. You know, Sue, no one ever comes back and talks about the seven pillars or, I mean, you know, sometimes they do, but the thing that they remember viscerally in their body is doing that exercise because oh, it'll move me to tears because it gives them something to be able to move forward with whatever it is that's going on in their life. And so it doesn't matter. I mean, how evolved we are as leaders or how, you know, amazing and how great our ideas are and how amazing the people are around us. If we're holding on to something that doesn't allow us to really be fully in the embodiment of whoever we're called to be as a leader. So um, it just, it means so much to me. Yeah, I, I agree. My work is completely about letting go of fear. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I can so see, that, I mean, I, I, you know, I just so yeah. res, I just so love the work. You're so I was excited about being here with you. Well, I so appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, one last thing, just leave everybody with one thing they can do today to, you know, improve their leadership. One thing you can do today to improve your leadership is to pause, to pause. So if you're at your desk, stop, notice, ask questions, like how you feeling? And then pause or pivot to whatever you're doing. And if you're not sure how to pause and do that at your desk, go on a walk. Like literally just take yourself. I call them God walks because for me, I'll say to God, what do you want me to see today? Like, what do you, what do you want that to be? But that opportunity to just pause and be quiet, for me, that is the greatest gift if you truly want to be a leader that's worth following. And with that, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here. Thank you. Hey, I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Lead with Trust and that wherever you're listening to this podcast, you will subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, send it to someone who you think can really use this message that you got today. And also, please leave us a review. You know, your honest review wherever you listen to your podcast would be much appreciated. And of course, the more reviews we get, the better they are, the better for the podcast. I'm truly on a mission to get more and more people to understand that trust is the essential element. So I hope you'll be part of that. You know, this show really exists to help you leaders to build your business on a foundation of trust so that you can reap the rewards of becoming that top performer in your market. I see over and over where no one can possibly reach the levels of those people that understand how to build a high trust culture in their business. Now today, if you're really curious about starting your trusted leader journey, you can get started right away if you just take the free trusted leader profile and you can learn where you fall along the trusted leader continuum. And this really can unlock your confidence on where you are and what you need to do. It's very specific on what you can do. Gives you a snapshot of your leadership style. So if you want to take that, just go to www.sudico.com and then forward slash profile. 
and you will get immediate access to the Trusted Leader Profile. Once again, that is www.sudyco.com forward slash profile. All right, that's a wrap. I just can't wait to hang out with you again on our next episode.